Good evening, Hampton Roads, North Carolina, and internet listeners everywhere. Welcome to tonight's episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. You're tuned into WGPL 1350 on your AM dial. I'm your host, Bishop Hodges, and this is the radio broadcast where we break down and discuss the dynamics of marriage and family relationships. And while doing that, let me share just a little bit of my worldview with you. God designed and instituted marriage and the family to build society on. Unfortunately, sin entered the picture and warped God's original design. The mission of this broadcast, the mission of Marriage and Family Clinic, is to restore, build, strengthen, and perfect marriage and family relationships. Welcome all around the world. Tonight, I want to conduct another question and answer period as I do every now and then. You know, every now and then, I like to hear what's on your minds and what's rolling around in your hearts and, and what are the real issues in your life. I believe most people want their lives to work and want their families and marriages to be fulfilling, rewarding, and full of peace and love and joy and yeah. happiness. And And so I want to hear from you. Yeah, last week, I asked you to send me some questions if you had any out there regarding marriage and family relationships. Now, I must admit, I didn't receive the response that I had hoped to, but I did get a few questions. And uh, actually, the set of questions that I received seem to mirror a lot of what I'm, I'm seeing going on in the world today around me and in ministry myself. Uh, unfortunately, many marital and family difficulties are compounded by church practices. And the paradox is church should be the one place the one body, the one agency that helps to seal and put marriages and families together and keep them together and put them back together. But something gets lost in the translation. And the questions that we did receive for this week have to do with how to uh, uh, work the dynamic that exists between marriage, family and church. How do you get that together? Now, the thing to do in answering questions, and for all of you who may answer questions and looking to have your questions answered tonight, the thing to do and remember when answering questions is to make sure the right question is being asked and answered. Uh, the question that you ask is not as important as the issue that the question means to address. And you find out that most times we ask a question, we're really asking to deal with an issue. And also when dealing with matters of the heart, and that's what you get when you ask questions about family and marriage relationships, these are matters of the heart. When dealing with matters of the heart or even with the human mind, answers are not always black and white. And anybody who boils it down and makes it really simple and overly simplify the answer to your heart questions and your relationship questions and your human questions, anybody who makes it simple, they're probably missing what you're after. They're probably on it. They missed it all together. More often than not, you want to collect what you're doing in asking the question is you want to collect a body of wise information from which you can meditate on and you can withdraw and and extract the wisdom and the, the knowledge that you need to make the best prayer field, spirit inspired God direction possible. Let me say that again. 
when asking a question what you want, you want to collect a body of wise information that you can meditate on, that you can reach into and pull out what you need. All right. So let's look at a couple of these questions here. Let's look at a couple of them. The first one is an in-depth question. It's multiple questions in one, but I think I gather what the uh, question asker is after here. Let me read this to you. Here's the question. What if you have a husband who believes in God or you have a wife? What if you have a wife who believes in God, truly wants to go to worship and be with other believers, but the husband stopped going to church and says something like, I don't need no church or I don't need to go to a corrupt church because God knows my heart. I don't need all of that. What do you do when your family has been attending a church and it's been working? But the husband now says, this is not the church for me anymore. Or even maybe this is not even the religion I want anymore. If the husband is supposed to be the head of the house, do you follow him or your heart? If he believes we should stop going to church or decides not to go anymore, do I still go? So that, that's a loaded question there. There are multiple questions in there, multiple issues to deal with. But what it boils down to is that we've got a husband who is questioning or having second thoughts about his spirituality, his relationship with God. And the thing is tearing him to the point where he's questioning his need to attend church and even wants his family to stop. What do you do in that situation? How do you handle uh, that situation? And uh, I like the ending of that question, the uh, end question. Uh, uh, if the husband is supposed to be the head of the house, do you follow him or your heart? Well, in a nutshell, you don't follow him. You don't follow your heart. You follow God. You make sure that you're in tune with, you're in touch with, and you follow God. And let me tell you what all that means. There's a lot going on in this situation here. What you do is you always begin these situations in prayer. Stay in prayer. Don't come out of prayer. Pray in your car. Pray in your house. Pray on your job. Continue to talk to God about this situation. You being a woman of prayer and bathing your life in prayer is important because it's an absolute must that you get your emotions under control and that you humble yourself and that you're ready to love your husband through whatever it is he's going through. You have to make sure that you're in the spirit, you're walking in the spirit. You have to be prepared to forgive, to love through, to be patient through it all, to be long-suffering, to forbearing. You've got to do all of that spiritual work. So it's going to be absolutely critical that you remain in prayer, always praying before you shoot off and spout off. Continue to pray. Because if you're saying in this question what I hear you saying, you're saying here's a man who attended church but stopped, wants his family to stop attending church, and even wants to drop or change his religion. What I hear you saying there is something definitely happened. Something has happened to this man. 
You describe a situation in which he has encountered something to bring about this crisis. Because for sure, he's in a crisis. Something happened to him. Something was said to him. Something was done to him. Something that seriously disillusioned him. Something didn't work out the way he thought it would. Something he prayed for something and it didn't work or, or it worked the opposite of what he prayed for. He suffered some loss. He suffered some great unexplainable uh, 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 disappointment. Something happened and it's knocked him down. Something attacked his faith and it's getting the best of him. And I'm going to share a couple of things with you I've shared before. But the first important thing is that whatever you do, don't start telling him what he better do or what he ought to do. You won't do anything in that but drive him further away. You sound like a nagging hag. And the, even the Bible says it's better for a man to dwell in the corner of a rooftop than in the house with a nagging woman. So the first thing is don't start telling him what he ought to do and what he better do and, and how much he knows better than this and how much he's missing and, and rebelling and, and, and the devil is using him. And, and you know how it goes. You know how it all goes. I know you mean well, but do everything you can to stay away from that type of behavior. Don't you become his prophet by coming home from church, telling him what the pastor preached on and how it fits him. You should have been there today. He talked about your situation. He talked about you. Don't say that. Don't go there believing you're doing some good. No matter what you mean to accomplish, you're going to accomplish the opposite of what you set out to accomplish. You're going to do nothing but drive him away. Well, how do you interact with him? Gently inquire about what's going on with him. Not seven times a day, maybe not even every day, but gently inquire what's going on with him. And make sure you leave judging outside the relationship. Leave judging outside the relationship. You don't have to tell him how wrong he is or how much he's missing out on. Leave that outside because he already knows what he's in. He already knows what he's doing. The truth of the matter is he's either unable or unwilling to come out of it. Let me say that again. The truth of the matter is he's either unable or unwilling to come out of it. And that's why he won't come back to the church right away. That's why he won't deal with it right away. He already feels some guilt. He's probably somewhat condemned feeling uh, 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 these feelings of condemnation. <clears throat> and if he doesn't want to talk, if he doesn't want to talk, don't nag him to talk. If you just talk about it, if you just talk about it, if you just talk about it, if he were going to talk about it, he would have talked about it by now. And when he's ready to talk about it, <coughs> believe me, he'll talk about it. Or when he finds to whom he wants to talk to about it, then he'll talk about it. You be supportive of him. You can't tell him when to talk or how much to talk. What you can do is you can tell him what you see going on and how it impacts you. What you see going on and how it impacts you. 
the feelings you're going through, the emotions you're having, what you're dealing with. Let him know that. But most of all, be supportive of him. Be supportive of him. Reinforce your support with positive language. Tell him, I know you'll come through it. I've seen God use you before. I know the hand of the Lord is on you. I know God's not through with you yet. And God is still working through both of us. He's working through you. He's working through me. And when we get on the other side of this, because I'm in this with you, when we get on the other side of this, it's going to be better than it was ever before. We're not going back to the way that it used to be. That wasn't good enough. God is going to do a great thing in us. And I know you're going to be greater than ever before. You're a great man. You're a man of God. I know you are. Reinforce your support with positive language. Speak to the king in him, not the pauper he's acting like. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about a believing wife sanctifying an unbelieving husband. And whatever this scripture means, I don't have time or space to exegete this scripture, but whatever this scripture means, you can believe God is saying, don't desert your spouse in their time of crises. You sticking with him may be the thing that wins him back. Be the Jesus you want him to know. You want him to walk close with Jesus. You want him to love Jesus. You want him to submit his life to Jesus. Then you be the Jesus you want him to know. First Peter 3, 1 and 2 says, uh, uh, let's just know that, that, that there's something about that the a way the wife can arrange herself with her husband. Something about the way the wife, wife arranges herself with her husband. Peter calls it submission. And something about the way she lives that can win her husband. Sister, the way that you live can go a long ways in winning him. Live a chaste life. Live a virtuous life. Let him see and hear you pray. Let him see and hear you pray for him. Let him hear you call his name out in prayer. Supporting him while he figures out God's will for his life is more important than getting him back in church. Yes, I said that. You are his living gap stander. You're standing in the gap for him. You are his walking, breathing, spirit-filled intercessor. Stay on your knees. Stay in prayer. The wise, loving ministry that you render to him is more important than getting him to return to the building around a lot of people. If you don't work your ministry, he may never come back. But you working your ministry decreases the time it's going to take for God to work through him. Tell God, love my husband through me. Let me be the vessel through which you love my husband. This is how the sanctified wife sanctifies her husband. Make sure, sister, you do all you can to practice your faith at home. He left church. He didn't necessarily leave God. His fellowship is suffering. His communion with God is suffering. But you can impact him coming back. Ask him to pray with you. Read scripture together. Talk about the word together. Talk about the things of God together. Watch a religious program on TV. You can find anything on YouTube. And after watching a program, after watching ministry on YouTube or TV or whatever, ask him to talk with you about it. Encourage him to watch it alone even. 
you probably know a couple of people that you trust, a couple uh, 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 that you trust. Uh, 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 see if you all can fellowship together. Here's where you really need wisdom, love, and faith, though. Here's where you really need it. Beware. You have to do all of this while not sacrificing what you believe about God. That means your spouse may not want to go to church, may want to change religions, but you have to humbly, submissively, and firmly let your husband know that the church is too much a part of your life to leave or quit it. Let your husband know firmly, lovingly, and submissively that you're committed to loving him and caring for your home, the children if you have them. You're going to do all you can to support him, but you will continue to go to church to worship, to fellowship, to lift him in prayer and to love him. You will continue to go to work, to church. Following this strategy, this and more, so much you can say on this, but this and more will help you do what you're supposed to do while God works with him. My goodness. You know, this is WGPL 1350 on your AM dial. I'm your host of Marriage and Family Clinic, Bishop Hodges. You're tuned in here, uh, uh, www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. I want to reach out to you and tell you that we really want to hear from you. We really need to hear from you. You can email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. Inbox me on Facebook. You'll find me at Bishop Carl Hodges. I uh, want to hear from you. want to know if you're getting anything out of these broadcasts. want to know if I'm on track. Am I missing it? Whatever the case may be, I need to hear from you. Reach out to us. All right. All right. Well, let's take one more question here uh, or another question. We get as far as we can. Time is running by really fast. Well, and this is a follow on to the previous question. How do you pray? How do you pray in a situation? How do you pray for a situation like the one we just described? And that's the very best question you can ask. How do I pray? When you're convinced in your mind and in your heart that your husband is missing God's will or even your wife, your spouse is missing God's will. When you know that to be the case, make sure you stay on your knees. I can't stress that enough. Make sure you stay on your knees. They're under attack. It's a crisis moment. Make up your mind to believe God no matter what. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God because God can do anything but fail. Confess to yourself what you believe about God based on his word not stuff that you heard don't worry about these cute rhymes and epitaphs and all this kind of carrying on but talk to god about what you believe about him based on his word the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him everything is possible to him that believe without faith it's impossible to please god god never leaves nor forsakes us talk to god about what you believe about him and ask God for his wisdom and his truth to be your guide. Remember, James said, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives liberally and upbraideth not. Ask God for his wisdom and to be your guide. Repeat to yourself Jesus' promise in John 14. The promise that the Holy Spirit will help you, will guide you, will teach you, will bring all things to your remembrance. Repeat that promise. That's your promise. Repeat that promise in your prayer over and over. Claim it for yourself. The Holy Spirit is mine. He's my help. He's my guide. He's my wisdom. Express, share your wisdom with me. Repeat it to yourself and be open to whatever God may want to do in you through the whole thing. And that's the point we miss sometimes. He may have the problem in your mind anyhow. He may have the problem, 
But God is going to want to do something in both of you, not him by himself. God is going to want to do something in both of you. So be open to whatever it is God wants to do in you as well as your husband. Keep in mind the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, meekness, temperance, self-control. Against such there is no law. The truth of the matter is your husband is under attack. And you may be his only backup. So it's important not to fall into the trap of believing your husband is your enemy. Ask God to love him. Ask God to strengthen and help him. Ask God to give him clarity. Talk to God about what you believe about your husband. Believe it or not, I, I, I found those little Bible promise books to be a great value. Those little books that you buy in a Christian bookstore for $1.99, $2.99 that are full of scriptures that share with us the promises of God. I found that to be a valuable tool in my spiritual walk. Get you one of those and just continue to read over, believe in, meditate on and trust those promises in God's word. Envision God working those promises in your husband. You may not know how to walk around it seven times, name it and claim it, declare and decree it. But if you talk to God from your heart and talk to God based on his word, because you believe his word in your heart, the spirit of the living God will do the rest and God will help you. Tell God from your heart how you believe that he's working those promises for your husband. Tell God. I know you're his shepherd. You're my shepherd. I know you his shepherd. With you working in his life, he doesn't lack anything. You're all that he needs. Touch him, fill him, give him clarity, work in his mind, clear up his mind, touch his heart, love him deeply. Keep him. Don't let him wander too far. Bring him in. You're the good shepherd. Watch over him. Because the truth is, sometimes we act like dumb sheep. We'll walk off the cliff if God doesn't keep us. And more than anything, more than anything, remember this. Keep your tongue. Pray that also. Father, keep my tongue. Don't let me talk out of the way. Keep my tongue. David said it this way in the psalm. Keep the doors of my lips. Be wise enough, depend on the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit, to help you keep your mouth shut when you don't need to open it. That's how you pray in a situation like this. All right. All right. Let's move on to the next question here. Uh, when you have problem areas in your marriage or you go through tough spots, you seek out what you believe are seasoned believers for advice. When these so-called seasoned people find out you're having difficulties, how do you handle it when all they want to do is spit out scriptures? <laughs> and that's a good question also, because some folks are so deep, all they can do is call out verses in scripture. They don't have a clue as to the wisdom that the scripture is speaking of. All they know is to spit out scripture. So that may, may not be the best help. But first of all, you're right for seeking adverse, uh, advice, excuse me, counsel or, or, or guidance from seasoned believers. Proverbs 11 and, and Proverbs 24 tell us that there is safety in the multitude of counselors. Uh, so whenever you're going through, it's good to seek out counselors. 
including uh, 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 the right others, uh, uh, including the right folks in our lives, excuse me, helps us to put ourselves in the right place. Uh, when we include the help of the right people in our lives, it helps us to see our blind spots because uh, other people can see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. And taking advantage of their counsel, the counsel of others, helps us to improve our objectivity. Because when we're left to our own selves, it's all about how we feel and what's working best for us. And that's all subjective, totally subjective. But the key to the whole thing is the right people. And even though we believe certain people may be seasoned or more experienced, we're still responsible to test the knowledge we get from others. And 1 John 4 still applies even in this situation. Try the spirits, whether they be of God. You still have the responsibility to test the spirit, to test the word, to see whether or not it is of God. Some people mean well, but they still have biases. Some people mean well, but the type of person that will just throw out scriptures at you is the person who may mean well, but they're ignorant. They don't have wisdom or people skills. The main thing is you can never abdicate or give up your power of choice. You're responsible to tell some people thanks, but no thanks. They may, do, they may be doing the best that they can, but respectfully let them know thanks. But I don't think this is what I need right now. If I need you, I will call on you. Thank you for being available, but that's just it. And that's how you deal with people who want to just throw out scriptures. Thank you. I appreciate your, your kindness. I appreciate you looking out for me, but just keep me in your prayer. And don't you just don't have to listen to them in the future. All right. Well, listen, I've got only a couple, three, three, four minutes left here. I want to share something with you. Uh, again, let us know whether or not we're doing you some good. But I want to share something with you. Last week, I was pretty stared up, uh, pretty good over the subject of abortion. New York's governor signed a state law that allowed abortion at any point throughout the third trimester. Imagine that. That means nearly up to the point that the baby is being born, the baby can be aborted. And if that wasn't enough, Kathy Tran, a Virginia state representative, introduced a bill in which she admitted that a baby could be aborted even as the mother was giving birth. And even if that wasn't enough, Virginia's governor, Ralph Northam, stated in an interview on television that there was a scenario in which a baby could be born. If the baby was born in trauma or something like that, the baby could be born. Medical staff would make the baby comfortable while the parents and doctors discussed and decided whether or not to allow the baby to live. In a normal world and normally in any state of the United States of America, anytime multiple persons discuss and plan to take a life, then carry out that plan and take a life, it's called conspiracy to commit murder and premeditated murder. The baby is alive, lying on the table. I know abortion on demand is a legal right in the United States of America, 
but I just don't believe there is a woman in the world who can carry a baby and feel that child kick in her womb and deny that that is a human life. That's her child. She may act funny. She may act differently, but she cannot deny that that's a human life and that's her child. To believe or to act otherwise, you have to really work hard to convince yourself to go against everything in you that naturally there that is from God. You have to work hard to convince yourself that the life in your womb is something other than a baby. You know, up until this week, the baby has always been safe once the mother gives birth. Again, it may have been legal. Abortion may have been legal on demand, but the baby has always been safe once the mother gives birth. There's been no question that the baby has rights once he's born. And now that's in jeopardy. And I'm sitting here wondering how far with this type of thinking, how far will this type of madness go? And I'm not talking about politics here. I'm not talking about a political party. I'm not telling you to vote one way or the other. It's extremely difficult for someone who will vote and who will push and promulgate and promote abortion on demand. And this craziness uh, that you find in late term abortion, difficult to vote for somebody like that. But I'm not I'm not advocating a political party. I don't want to even get into the political fray. However, there is a genre out there. There's a genre of thinking that believes it's okay to kill babies. And now that genre of thinking is taking it further. It's okay to kill babies after they're born. A helpless baby who cannot fend for himself and a die without the loving care of his mother must now be afraid of his mother snuffing out his life. I'm not exaggerating, folks. This is the exact impact of abortion and especially late-term abortion. I just wanted to share that. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us on this week's episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. You are tuned into WGPL 1350 on your AM dial. Reach out to us. Let us hear from you. Email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. Find me on Facebook, Bishop Carl Hodges. Again, thanks for joining us. We'll see you same time next week. Until then, remember, you can't have peace until you surrender your life to the Prince of Peace. God bless you. We're out.